All right, folks, this is Rabble Rousing Rich Bergeron. This is the Tornado Tony Pimicow. And Psychic Tom Sadger. Tom told us a week ago that Ali was going to die, too. Didn't you, Tom? Psychic, he is, right? Well, um, I will confess that I also told you Luke Lockhold was going to uh, have an easy night. Of <laughs> yes, it. So, yes. in light of that, I have a make culpa. I have a confession to make since I'm no longer doing the psychic line professionally. My skills are diminishing. So, <laughs> as of now on, I'm going to be bringing my tools into play so my predictions will get their accuracy back. Teaching, right. tarot cards, horoscopes, <laughs> all of it. So, the uh, nice. performance will be better from here on. You heard it here first. Okay. And how embarrassing. How embarrassing. Oh. Michael Bisping, though, I did not see coming on such short notice myself. So, I mean, he could be forgiven for that one. But, you know, at the same time, it's, uh, it's really the last shot for him. It was probably not going to happen again if he did, lost that fight. And uh, didn't put on a real, real big show and make it close. So he said, uh, screw that. I'm just going to take him out in the first round. <laughs> well, uh, I, I guess the question is, uh, did Rockhold just look past it? Uh, potentially, but I think it was just uh, luck of the draw, you know? Uh, different it, opponent, it, it, different it, it, strategy, it, it, different uh, adjustments to make, and uh, Luke... Went in there, uh, preparing for a rematch, and uh, got a got a new fight. And uh, there's another type of rematch that uh, I don't think he expected to lose like that. No. Any given no, Sunday. I mean, especially after he had told him uh, the first time around, and it, it, it's just it's just astonishing. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. Yep. Well, we'll talk about that card a little bit later. The big news, of course, Muhammad Ali dead at uh, 74. The age, um, but uh, he went into the hospital with some respiratory issues. I thought he was just going to be fine, you know. Usually, he's had a couple of these scares, but uh, we did talk on the show about you know some health issues his family said he had that uh, we're gonna we're gonna get him soon, and of course they did. But uh, what a legacy! There was uh, a few times that uh, I think it was his brother had um, posted um, within the you know last maybe year or two that it was like almost every other month it was like he's on his deathbed and he's not going to make it through the weekend and there were times they you know happened to be hoaxes and maybe with publicity i'm not sure but you know this time you know you know finally it caught up and my dad kind of paraphrased the best you know he's like you know you don't beat father time nobody does nobody and you know, as great as you are, you know, it catch, it, it beats everybody. All right. And also, <clears throat> I mean, he, he actually marketed himself as the greatest. And it stuck. And uh, just an amazing amount of people giving him that credit of being the greatest. Uh, you know, from boxing people to combat sports in general, just newscasters, you know, calling him the greatest, talking about his death, 
and basically, you know, he marketed himself as that and kind of backed it up. But the thing that amazes me looking back on his life is that, you know, you could argue that he spent the prime of his career on the fucking bench. <laughs> You know? Yeah, really. And maybe it was for a good cause in hindsight, but at the time it was kind of bigoted of the government to to force him into that position. Well, he he did say later that maybe that prolonged his career. A maybe. Couple years yeah, maybe. Well, that's the other side of it. But. Which, may, which may not have turned out to be a good thing, but, you know, on, on the idea of marketing himself, remember when he came around... He was such a novelty because back then, I mean, and I know you guys read about this, but I actually, you know, from living it, it was just so incongruent because at the time, the heavyweight champion was a man of action and few words, you know, best exemplified by Joe Lewis, Rocky Marciano. They didn't do a lot of trash talk. They just went in and just did the job. And here comes this guy. Uh, you'd almost think you were tuning into pro wrestling. Yeah, <laughs> just astonishing i mean nothing like it and he had a lot of his detractors i remember um after that doug jones fight that was i think may of 63 if i remember right and doug jones was like a blown up light heavyweight and uh, they had quite a quite a battle in madison square garden i think the right guy won the fight but there was a, just a crowd was throwing stuff into the ring and he had a lot of people back then that really wanted to see him be even more the political stuff came and even the anti-war stuff. I mean, it was the fact that he was just like, <laughs> such a big mouth. I mean, and you remember, you, you go back into that time as well, um, you know, even before, you know, the the um, or the um, refusal to um, accept induction to the U.S. Army and all that, you're still talking very, very racial, you know, divided country. Now, you had a fighter like Joe Lewis that was, um, as I said, he was a credit to his race, the human race, and he was the one that, you know, was going to stand up to Germany. So he made, like, they, they looked to him as, like, okay, he's not black, he's not white, he's American, right? Um, but with Ali, there was still a lot of racial tension, and he kind of, I don't know if he fed off that, but there was definitely a lot of... Um, I'm trying to look for the right word to say, um, a lot of attention to it and a lot of, you know, disagreement and a lot of, um, you know, dissension. So you were either pro or against him. And this is before a lot of those things happened. Right. Yeah, it's a sad loss for the boxing community and for the world. He was a great dude, but, um, you know, <clears throat> the thing about uh, looking back on his record and everything like that, the people he fought in his whole life, um, you know, it's kind of emblematic of the uh, Joe Frazier fight down there, the thriller in Manila, because Ali lasted a little longer than Joe Frazier. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, very true. Um, I was, uh, as, I, as I emailed you guys the other night, I was invited to be a, uh, a guest on a Philadelphia sports talk show, and now I am not leaving Fight News Unlimited. Um, <laughs> but the gentleman who I'm Facebook yeah. friends with, his name is Ray Malfo, and, um, you know, he's uh, seen some of the stuff I've posted on Facebook, whether it's, you know, some of my Philly shenanigans, 
Um, you know, me and my outfit are going to different Philly events, Eagles, Flyers, all that. But a lot of my stuff on there is about boxing. And he's seen pictures of me in the gym. He's seen pictures of some, I've posted some of my old fights. So this person knows I know the sport of boxing. And every time I write an article for Fight News Unlimited, as soon as you send me the link, I post the link. So when they introduced me on the show as a guest, they introduced me um, as a representative from Fight News Unlimited. And they purposely asked me to be on the show because he goes, um, in the days after his passing, because I did a show Tuesday night, he said, you know, everything about the talk has been more of political. You know, the refusal to induction in the army. You know, going from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. Um, you know, the um, even, you know, in Zaire, how like, they kind of ostracized George Foreman as the bad guy, but he rallied around the African people. And, you know, calling Joe Frazier and Uncle Tom and all that. And he goes, I don't want to focus on any of that. He goes, I want to focus on Ali the fighter. That's what I want to talk about, Ali the fighter. And he goes, and I know you're probably the best person to bring on my show that we'll talk about it. And I took that as a compliment, of course. So a lot of some of the things I came out there and said, I said, what you have to understand is, Muhammad Ali was pretty much finished as a fighter when I was born. So I never saw him fight in his prime live. I've seen many tapes, of course. Um, but you figure I was born a year after the thrill in Manila. Now, one of the comments that I made talking about the Frazier Ali trilogy, and everybody always kind of throws out the second fight. It wasn't a 15 rounder. It wasn't a championship fight. Um, it was more of clutching and gravity's part, you know, Tony Perez let him get away with holding behind the head. So Joe never got a rhythm going. So everybody throws that one out. So they focus on the first and the third. So we go to the first fight, the fight of the century, you know, the biggest fighting boxing history, bar none. Don't talk about Mayweather Pacquiao. Don't talk about any of that stuff because, and here's what I said on the show. When you're a person like Frank Sinatra and the only building is by agreeing to be a ringside photographer. That means it's the biggest fight in boxing history, bar none. Now, you go back to those two fights, the two championship fights. Frazier wins the first fight. I think he's worse off for the wear because he's the one that goes in the hospital and his blood pressure is skyrocketing. And it was the point they thought it was like, well, I think his kidneys were failing. He was potentially going to die in the hospital after winning that fight. You fast forward five years or four years later, or four and a half years later, you go to Manila. Ali wins the only fight of their trilogy that ends in the stoppage, you know, because Frazier was so badly battered in that fight. You sit, you look at that fight and the after effects. Frazier, I think, only fought, you know, really right, sure. Right. Right, right, yeah, the right. fight with Foreman, he got stopped. Yeah, he got stopped because he was basically a shell of himself. But you look at the after effects of that, and you got to say, Ali got the worst of that one. That's the way you, because he was the one that really declined rapidly after that fight. Like, I don't think he put on, I mean, he had the rematch against Spinks that he won because Spinks was so underprepared, but I don't think Ali ever put a dominating performance on after that unless it was against a truly mediocre fighter. Right. And I don't even think then he was dominant, you know, or, you know, exceptional. I think he was more like, he looked plodding, he looked tired. I think that third Frazier fight really, you know, took a lot out of him. Also on the show, one of the things we discussed was, 
you know, with Ali's death now, is that really going to ramp up um, calls for the abolition of boxing? Um, because right now, as, and as these gentlemen said, it's like, if you go back 30 years, you know, we, and the one landmark event we used was uh, the Ray Mancini Dooku Kim fight. Because after that fight, the American Medical Association really put a lot of pressure on boxing. That's when they started the work to get the fights dropped from 15 rounds to 12 rounds. And, you know, fights got stopped a lot earlier and so many protective matters. So he's like, you know, do you think, you know, this is really going to hurt, you know, the sport of boxing? And I said, he's like, because you look at football, you touch a quarterback now, you're getting a penalty. You know, um, baseball, you take a foul ball and you, you be dizzy a little bit. You know, um, they'll sit you down for like a week. You'll have they have a concussion protocol. You can't slam into the catcher anymore. Hockey, you know, all the protocols in hockey now, and it's all for the betterment of the safety of the fighters or the sport, the athletes. Well, how will this affect boxing? And I said, you know, Parkinson's disease. Obviously, the fighting exacerbated it. But how many boxing matches was Michael J. Fox in? And look at his condition and how it slowly deteriorates right. anybody can get parkinson's you know muhammad ali happened to get it the boxing after he certainly didn't help him especially the, ter the terrible beating he took at the hands of larry holmes yeah and he also um, he had that style that did you know it wasn't just his mouth people's skin that he fought it was his style of putting his face out there and then trying to pull it back yeah. i mean roy jones tried to copy a lot of that and then invented his own yeah. stuff to go with it but i mean he got hit a lot of those times might not have showed that it hurt him but you know that's right in your brain i mean see For what no people reason. forget because people you know remember ali being so dominant early in his knocked down and hurt badly by henry cooper counterpunch uh, there was another fighter that knocked him down early in his career, and the name is escaping me right now, but knocked him down with a left hook. You know, the, the pummeling, you know, in the first fight that he took from Joe Frazier. And if you go back and you watch that first fight over again, everybody remembers the iconic knockdown in the 15th round. That was far from the hardest punch that Ali took in that fight. That was more of momentum. He's going backwards, Frazier's coming forward, he lands the left hook, Ali goes down. You want to see Ali take the worst part of that fight? Go back to what uh, Dr. Ferdy Pacheco referred to as the terrible 11th. The terrible 11th was around where they were, they were trading. They were against um, in the one corner, and as Ali was trying to spin out to his right, Joe you know, cut him off and hit him with a left hook, and Ali's legs just dropped, and the ropes kept him up. And and he took another shot, and he really buckled bad. And what saved him was he staggered straight back, almost all the way across the ring. And it looked like he was almost trying to play possum, and he was bluffing him. He was bluffing him, trying to say, I'm pretending to be hurt, but I'm not hurt when I really am hurt. That's how genius of a man he was. Hmm. He pretended to be hurt, to look like he was not hurt when he really was. <laughs> you know, pretty amazing, right? Um, but that was the round and that whole fight that Ali took the worst amount of punishment. And anybody listening out there, if you don't believe me, Google right now, Ali Frazier won, and you go to the 11th round, the 11th, and you tell me, you know, 
that that wasn't the worst round of, of that fight for him. Um, another thing we talked about, about Ali the fighter, you know, was, you know, the impact he had, you know, obviously on a lot of, you know, the younger generation. One of the things that, you know, I came out and spoke on that was there is a certain, I mean, obviously he had his influences outside the ring. But he also had a lot of influences inside the ring. And you could see it later, as we mentioned earlier, Roy Jones Jr., a little bit with Sugar Ray Leonard and a lot of guys like that. You had certain fighters of each generation, and I'm going to name one of each generation, that were so naturally exceptional for different reasons um, that people tried to imitate him, and you can't. Right. Uh, Muhammad Ali of his generation. The next generation, Sugar Ray Leonard. People couldn't do what Ray Leonard did. You know, the next generation after that, Roy Jones Jr. I think, honestly, um, and from being involved in the sport of boxing, I saw more people in gyms and in the ring, especially amateurs, trying to emulate Roy Jones Jr. than they did Mike Tyson. Because Tyson, it was like, first of all, when Jones, you were flashy, you were cocky, you looked cool. Tyson, you were just trying to be a wrecking ball, you know, so, you know, that didn't look as cool to do. Plus, you knew to do that, you know, you, you were just going out there and you, you were going to take punches. Um, so you have Roy Jones Jr. as a, um, you know, an influence. And then of the most recent generation, Floyd Mayweather Jr., so you had guys that people wanted to imitate, you know, Jones or um, Mayweather with the shoulder roll. Um, then you had uh, Jones with the hands at the sides and, you know, all those little things that he used to do and the behind the ba- hands behind the back and all that. Sugar Ray Leonard, the bolo punches and the, and the shoe shine flurries. Ali, you know, dancing around, the Ali shuffle, hands at his side, snapping out the jab, talking, you know, sticking his chin out and things like that. No normal person can get away with that. You have to be exceptional. And he was. And, you know, maybe, maybe the argument was made that he ruined a lot of fighters trying to copy him. And very few had yeah, the skills. Very few had the skills. And I agree with your analysis. Those guys you mentioned, yeah, I definitely see that. But there are probably hundreds that we're not talking about. So maybe we would have been had they been more conventional, but they just didn't have the ability to pull that off. That's natural skill. Well, um, I really didn't watch a lot of Ali, unfortunately. But what I did watch, you know, um, I was a big fan of George Foreman, so I remember they did show a lot of his fight leading up to George's uh, capturing the title against Michael Moore. Who famously said to us that he was like three minutes away from it being the Michael Moore grill. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But so uh, you know, I you know I watched it when I could, and <clears throat> I really uh, you know appreciate his legacy and everything like that. But uh, dare I say it? I don't think he was the greatest. I never really have think thought he was the greatest fighter of all time. I think it was more of a gimmick that people just gave it to him because he was such a character. But, um, you know, he was well, a big, well, he was an icon. And, and he was definitely a, um, an icon. Here's a lot of things <laughs> that, um, you know, with Ali, it's like, uh, he anointed himself the greatest. So he, basically, he threw himself into the discussion. <laughs> um, but uh, it's, once again, um, a personal perception. 
Now, with Rich, you and I, as opposed to Tom, by the time we were born and we got to, you know, watch Ali's fights, it's like watching a movie you already know the result to. Right. You know, yeah. you put on the fourth Ali Frazier fighter, you put on the Thrill of Manila, or the Rumble in the Jungle, you know, you already know what happens. You know, you get to enjoy watching it as an unfold, but you know, you like, you know the ending. That's like, you know, going to see Rocky II and knowing they both get knocked down in like the last 30 seconds and the count goes to nine before Rocky gets up. Okay, you, you know how it's going to end, but you still got to watch to get to that point. Um you know, Tom had the advantage where he got to experience all of this live. You know, so, you know, in the Rumble in the Jungle, for example, thinking, oh, my God, Ali's fighting Foreman. Oh, my God, he's going to get slaughtered. Oh, my God. You know, where <laughs> when it was in, in that generation, almost like Douglas Tyson. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, you had a good point about Ali Frazier, too because that fight was kind of forgotten because of the influence of George Foreman. That had a lot to do with it, because Foreman right. had stopped Frazier the year before, and Foreman was just just um, a tank. I mean, he was just, he was, he was the Mike Tyson of that time. And, yeah. and it just, it was almost, I'm not saying the fight was irrelevant, but the consensus was he already destroyed Frazier, and he probably did the same to Ali, so it just did not have the pizzazz of one or three, and I think Foreman had a lot to do with that. Right. Yeah, no, I believe it. But, yeah, it's a sad loss for the boxing community and uh, for the world. Uh, obviously, the Parkinson's disease was a big part of the story, too. Uh, it was kind of ironic because a few weeks ago I was at a, a cabin up in um, Maine, and... There was uh, a VCR, but there's only two VCR tapes. And one of them was, uh, you know, something about boxing legends. Go figure. So I put <laughs> it in and I start watching it. Uh, and there's Muhammad Ali still able to articulate. I think it was either back in the late 70s or early 80s. And when I met Mike Tyson... I had a, a glove that was signed by Muhammad Ali, but it was like a printed signature from the factory. Yeah. And uh, I said, you know, I they offered, it was like 300 bucks to get Tyson's autograph. So they offered me a glove that went with it. And it was like a stupid novelty glove. So I was like, no, I don't want it. Like they tried to force it on me. I'm like, get that thing away from me. I got my own glove. <laughs> so yeah. I try, I'm trying to explain real quick to Tyson why I did that was because I saw a clip on uh, Arsenio Hall when Tyson was on there with Muhammad Ali and, and Muhammad Ali's speech was going then but it was still there and uh, he told Arsenio Hall that uh, if Tyson and he had ever fought Tyson would have beat him so and, and he said to me oh I can't beat anybody <laughs> and he kind of pushed me away and, uh, and I was like you know laughing and uh, I tried to get him to go on the radio show Hand him a business card, and he's like, nope. He, what did he say? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about that, but... Yeah, he, he had a lot of respect for Ali, and he came out and, uh, you know, had a statement and everything, of course, in the wake of Ali's death, but Ali himself thought he would have been beat by Tyson, so what does that tell you? Um, I always thought that was kind of interesting. Now, I still have that glove signed by Tyson that's uh, also fake signed by Muhammad Ali. 
So now all I got to do is wait for Tyson to die. Shouldn't say that, but <laughs> that'll be in the money. No, uh, Tom, when's Tyson gonna die? <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, I get the feeling with him, uh, the fact that he made it to 50, well, let's see, he'll be, um, he'll be 50 next month. Yeah, he'll be, I believe he's yeah, this month, isn't it? June 30th? Yeah. Uh, okay, that's right, yeah, not July, I know he's a cancer, and, um, yeah, either late June or early July. So he's just about to hit 50. And, and I kind of get the feeling with guys like that, if they made it that far, he may have a long existence ahead of him. Yeah. Because uh, you, you look at the odds of him even making it to 30, the way he, you know, <laughs> he may make it at the 25. But, uh, yeah. yeah I oh, yeah. But you, you would ask that question like 25 years ago. It's like, uh, when's he going to die any day now? Yeah. Right. Well, right. speaking of exactly. dying any day now. Ah. Uh, Kimbo Slice is the other big uh, combat sports death in the news this week. And uh, Tony kind of framed it properly when uh, he said, uh, oh, this week should be an Ali uh, tribute show. And uh, I said, what about Kimbo? And he goes, uh, Ali is any newspaper's front page story. I, I don't know so much about Kimbo. Uh, but he's a back page well, story said, anyway. I, I even said this at work. I was talking <laughs> to somebody about it. I said it on the show the other night, too. Um, because and I mentioned your um, hey, what about Kimbo? And I said, hey, no disrespect to Kimbo, no disrespect at all. But you know, Ali's death, front page news around the world, right. not in his hometown, not you know, saying like some big fight areas or um, but around the world in Zimbabwe, Muhammad Ali dead, and you know uh, Thailand, Muhammad Ali dead. In China, Muhammad Ali. This is how yeah. big a news it was, you right? Australia, you name it. You know how big a news it was? Okay, Fox News, if you've ever watched it. What do they do after a certain point? They just replay all the old shows from that night, right? They might have like a 10-second breaking news report or something, but they usually don't even have anybody home in the lighthouse. <laughs> it's just... You know, repeats of shit. So Fox News, the entire night that Muhammad Ali died, had people in there reporting on it. All the details that they could come up with and, you know, tracing his career, and, uh, talking to experts. Uh, and I was like, wow, Fox News is doing this. This is unheard of. They called in the cavalry. Pretty interesting. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a big deal, but uh, Kimbo's not such a big deal, but to me, I mean, there's there's a lot, a little bit of uh, similarity in the fact that, you know, their sports kind of, and their lifestyle and situation uh, kind of led to their deaths, you know, Kimbo obviously was more hype than talent for most of his career, and unfortunately at the end of his career he had to resort to steroids to really keep up the hype matched up with the talent you know <clears throat> and it's kind of ironic that his last fight almost killed his opponent and you know now that you think about it kind of killed Kimbo too <laughs> he was yeah. uh, I think to back to that uh, that uh, Derek Lewis from the UFC when he filmed Kimbo coming backstage after that fight like dying right there huffing and puffing like pff, you wouldn't believe then you also have the uh situation that kind of makes it mysterious where 
How does Bellator let this guy fight? If is he doesn't, you don't just have congestive heart failure sneak up on you. I'm sorry. If you've got a legitimate physical, that shit should be known from your physicals. Uh, and here he is training to fight James Thompson overseas after getting popped for steroids in Texas where he just got a slap on the wrist. So now he's going to fight overseas where the testing is probably almost guaranteed not to be very stringent. Uh, and even if it is, you know, that could have been his last fight anyway. I, I think James Thompson was going to beat him, you know, so he's in a lose-lose situation. Right. <clears throat> you know, fighting in the guy's hometown and... Uh, Probably going to lose and, and needing that extra boost. To, and the thing about his late career in MMA, you know, past the street fights and all that stuff, when he got buttoned down and disciplined with MMA, he had to get away from all the other stuff. And Boss Rutten separated from him because he couldn't apparently stray far enough from the entourage stuff and the parties and drinking and all that. Um, but then, uh, you know, the African-American race in general has higher heart attack rates, too. So you add the athleticism, yeah, yeah. you add the... I even uh, learned that about uh, 10 years ago at my one job when we actually did a series of um, medical seminars on African or disease, uh, heart disease in the African-American community. Right. And uh, I remember famously when... Uh, not, maybe not so famously, maybe people don't look back to this like I do, but uh, there was a conference call when Kimbo first got into MMA, and I was on it, it must have been like 2005, 2006, and somebody had asked Kimbo, uh, you know, what's the difference between when you go to fight now in the cage and when you fight you used to fight in the backyards? And he said, well, to be honest with you, I used to be wicked high when I went to these fights in the backyard. And I think he was one of those guys that did PCP. Uh, you know, that's where people with those friggin' huge arms, that was like their secret. They started doing this uh, PCP mix. I've read about it in some of the gang books about gang members in L.A. You know, and... Uh, just sometimes there's only a couple things that make your arms that big prison or steroids uh and and some kind of drug um but the pcp yeah there was something they mixed with it they used to call it sherm or something like that i read but yeah that's you know it speaks a lot about you know, how he got that way and then when he separated himself from drugs and alcohol and all that kind of stuff and swore he was off of it uh, I think what he did a lot was not so much party as in drinking and drugging, but partying as in staying up all night, going out with the entourage, doing a lot of uh, side stuff, and eating, probably. Eating a lot. And then going back to training, training like crazy, and losing the weight. And then, you know, all that up and down, you know, taking it easy for a little while, and then going right back to it, obviously caught up to him in the Dada 5000 fight. And then uh, leading up to his death, apparently he had the hiccups for weeks on end, according to one of his uh, coaches. And then uh, when he went into the hospital, they said he had congestive heart failure and he would need a transplant to survive. And he just died. He said, fuck this. And he's sticking around for no goddamn transplant. <laughs> There's only one Kimbo. There's only that one heart. <laughs> 
But, uh, you know, he had an interesting career. He made the transition from uh, mixed martial arts to boxing. Had a very controversial last fight. Left and came back to mixed martial arts. Uh, fought the fam famous fight there with uh, Ken Shamrock. But, you know, you had the feeling that he was always getting set up for wins. Uh, especially with the Dada 5000 fight. And looking how uh, out of shape Dada came in and how... How much weight he had to cut just to make the heavy weight limit. And then you, you know, have the, the guy that, that's that being fight, sued. Yeah, or, that or fight has a distinction. I had never seen anyone stood up when they had them out. Yeah. That has never, and, and didn't complain. Right. Didn't complain. Uh, you can I, imagine I, the pressure it, of keeping up the years. legend after that fight. Now he's got to go and rematch some dude that he barely beat before because the guy's ear exploded. And he's got to go fight him in his home country. Uh, you know, after ba barely beating this guy who was just a street fighting legend like him. Uh, and I think it was catching up to him. And, and he probably was on way too high a dose of steroids in the end or just couldn't hack it anymore. I mean, his, You uh, know, Be Bellator still has that freak show element to it in some ways. Yeah, too I mean, much it, so. It has a serious side, but <laughs> there's still so, that, that spectacle. And uh, I confess to um, liking a bit of that. Spectacle. <laughs> Speaking I'm, of it, that's a perfect transition that's... to the next story that Tony might weigh in on. Even though it has nothing to do with boxing. Okay. Talking, talking about Brock coming back to uh, UFC. I heard that. Yes. That UFC is um, 200. Well, it can be either good or bad. Um, it can be either good or bad. And the, my favorite part of that story is how he got permission. He arm wrestled Vince McMahon one day. He just... No, hey, Vince is Vince is a guy. He's seventy years old. Give him that. But you know, Vince is a guy pretty built for being you know, being that age. Right. But you know, as strong as he is, come on, you ain't gonna beat Brock in an arm wrestle match. Right. <laughs> that was funny. I'm getting a visual of that. It uh, actually happened though. He's, I mean, he said that in an interview. That's how how they did did the deal. I heard one of the reasons it's is a there, thing, you know, now thing. it's come on like you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours with Dana White. Right. Now they're going to see if now they'll let um because um, they teased it a couple of years ago, uh, Ronda Rousey for next WrestleMania. Yeah, yeah, I could see that happening. Uh, but then you're going to open up this whole McGregor versus uh, Floyd. Uh, again, which I think would, might eventually happen, but it's it's going to take a while. I mean, I think you have to market uh, the MMA a little bit more first uh, with Connor, and he really has to have a win under his belt going into something like that. So they did announce recently that uh, Connor is going to fight uh, Nate Diaz. The rematch it will be in August at I think UFC 202 is the number, but uh, yeah. He's going to get uh, his MMA opportunity before he gets his fight with Floyd, if that ever happens. But, and that's more of a you know very lose-lose situation for the UFC. That's the problem with that for Dana White, being able to be lenient in making that fight. Right? I mean, uh, Vince McMahon can shrug his shoulders and say, well, go ahead, Brock. You know, I don't, I don't care, whatever. I mean, it helps us. It helps you. Makes you feel better. Because See, the only thing that if I was Vince, I would be worried about, because Brock hasn't had an MMA fight, MMA fight in, what, about five years now? Yeah. 
Okay. He doesn't like so to get now, in the face. It was, <laughs> it was like 2011, I think, and that's when he got beat by was it was it um, Al- Alistar Overeem? Overeem, yeah. Yeah, so you look at like this. When when Brock comes back to the WWE, they bring him back. I think it was like 2012. So he comes back and he and he's like this just this monster, you know. So he's you know and he's wrestling okay part time here and there and like but everything he was doing like okay he would do an angle where he break Triple H's arm you know and then beats Triple H to two out of three matches fine. Um, then he has the big thing where he beats the Undertaker and he. He um, stops the Undertaker streak, and that's like, oh my god, that's like a what the fuck moment, and and then he parlays that, and he goes into SummerSlam, and he like annihilates John Cena, just like destroys him, um, and then like they have a couple rematches, but Brock doesn't lose. He loses his title uh, because it, another guy jumps in the match and pins somebody else, so Brock loses the title without ever losing. His only real loss during you know the last two years was one with the undertaker but it was like he passes out instead of gives up so brock is built up as this unstoppable monster and he's like on this such a roll say he goes into the ufc fight and he gets pummeled and he gets like destroyed in say 30 seconds you just lost a big marketing piece in your wwe i mean you know it's entertainment but you have to have that suspension of disbelief as a fan. So if I'm buying into a pay-per-view and I see, okay, man, Brock Lesnar, he just destroyed The Undertaker and he just destroyed Cena. Now he's going to take on, they say, Roman Reigns, the big Samoan, former football player. These two guys are around 300 pounds each, cut like, you know, out of granite. This is going to be a battle, you know. You know, this is going to be like a modern-day Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant. And then it's like, um, but then in like the back of your mind, it's like, and, and you know it's scripted, but you know the party that's still a little kid is getting excited about it. But then in the back of your mind, it's like, oh man, Brock Lesnar just got destroyed by so and so in thirty seconds. Yeah, <laughs> and that just takes a little bit away from it. Right. Well, at the same time, you know, he was going to have his legacy be. I walked away from real fighting to do the fake stuff. You know, a lot of people look at it that way. Yeah. So. True. He's kind of got to go, all right, well, you know, I still got balls enough to step in there. I think I still got the skills. And, uh, you know, he's not picking any slouch. Mark Hunt, um, I think, physically uh, fools a lot of people into thinking, oh, this guy sucks. But, uh, you know, he's he likes to punch people in the face really hard. And Brock Lesnar does not like to be punched in the face really hard. Right, right. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. This could be a nightmare, stylish, stylistic matchup for Brock. Yeah. Uh, and the famous knockout that I, I uh, was really disappointed was not on the UFC 100 knockouts. Maybe it wasn't late enough or whatever uh, in that series. But uh, was Mark Hunt versus Stefan Struve. And shows you what a little guy can do. I mean, he did a Mike Tyson's punch-out uh, uh, glass Joe punch there. Just boost punch, you know, where he jumps up off of his toes. Bam! And broke Stefan Struve's draw. Stefan Struve is nicknamed the skyscraper. He's seven foot something. Mark Hunt is like five foot ten. <laughs> Connected directly to his jaw while he was standing up. Uh, so, yeah, Brock is in for a heck of a tangle here in his comeback. Uh, and I'm sure Mark Hunt will be up for the upset. Be upset minded. But the best part of this whole story to me. 
is something that you wouldn't think has any connection to it. But uh, So over the weekend, we'll talk about the card a little later, but uh, UFC 199, a guy who uh, we've talked about before, uh, has been getting uh, getting a little bit of the backlash and the blacklist treatment. Uh, Ariel Helwani, um, one of the guys who was a pioneer of MMA media, He's just been around for the longest time, talked to so many people in the industry, a lot of fighters, interviews fighters all the time. Um, And uh, there was a couple things that the UFC didn't like about his reporting. Uh, Namely, there was an interview with uh, Rory McDonald, who is trying to negotiate a uh, new contract with the UFC. And uh, this interview said a lot about free agency and uh, had a lot of probing questions from Ariel about free agency and the negotiations with the UFC and how they were going. Uh, <clears throat> and I think the UFC decided at that point that uh, Ariel's idea of journalism uh, was not in line with their future. So they got rid of him. They, they made sure that the Fox team basically where Ariel was doing uh, backstage interviews, uh, terminated Ariel's contract and sent him back to MMA Fighting, which is his website that he works with. Um, So this whole Brock Lesnar thing was a breaking news story broken by Ariel Helwani. So what does UFC do uh, at UFC 199? They throw Ariel Helwani right the fuck out of the event with his videographer, (laughs) his photographer... They say, get the fuck out of here. And they tell Helwani, you're banned for life. So the blacklist does exist in the UFC. Trust me, and, I'm on it. And, and physically you know, threw him out. Physically. So get the fuck out of here. Uh, and then they reversed their ban. They, they came. There must have been a public backlash. And it's kind of yeah. funny to me because uh, Helwani uh, tweeted about it talked about it and he believes Dana White did not want to do this this is not really Dana White's call this was Lorenzo Bertita he named him uh, so that's another interesting angle because I know Lorenzo the Fertitas they hold grudges they, they don't like that type of stuff but it was kind of interesting they put out a statement and everything the UFC did when they reversed it and uh, they said something about, uh, you know, the other restore his uh, credentials for future fights. But, uh, you know, we don't like his tactics of journal, his idea of journalism. <laughs> so, yeah, they wanted to break the story themselves and Ariel broke it. So they decided tit for tat, get the fuck out of our events. <laughs> Pretty childish stuff from a multi-billion dollar corporation, if you believe Forbes. <laughs> uh, that's pretty pretty crazy. Well, unfortunately, that's sometimes what you deal with. Yeah. The best quote of the whole story is Ariel saying, The last thing I want to do is to sit on news. If you're sitting on it, you're not doing it right. <laughs> this is not egg hatching here. We're, we're doing news. It is news. I'm going to report it. So, pretty crazy stuff. Pretty wild. And uh, big news with the Brock story. He is getting an exemption. This is pretty serious news. A lot of people are pissed the fuck off on this one. He is getting a USADA exemption to compete at this UFC 200 event. And... uh, 
A lot of people think, oh, well, that means that he's not getting tested at all. No, that's not what I'm saying here. The exemption is that normally when you come out of retirement, which is his official designation right now, you have to notify the USADA four months before you compete so they can set up their random testing protocol. Since he's doing this on short notice, he's getting a free pass from Vince McMahon. He applied for and received an exemption from USADA for this four months of notice to come out of retirement. Uh, and I'll tell you, I don't have a lot of people get into arguments on my Twitter posts, but back and forth, back and forth. I mean, these people were pissed about this uh, special treatment that uh, Brock is getting. But I don't think it has anything to do with steroids yet, yet. I think still, you know, they're going to have opportunities to test him. I don't think he's doing it this late and getting this exemption because uh, he's trying to avoid being tested. Uh, I just think it's, uh, you know, he, he got the permission and he's going for it. And uh, if he's doing something that he's not supposed to be doing, they're going to test him before and after the fight. So they'll, they'll find it. <clears throat> but uh, I just thought that was kind of crazy how people were just up in arms about that. It's because of his popularity he's getting a free pass, everybody thinks. Uh, UFC's uh, cutting a lot of people to make way for people like Brock to come back. Uh, I guess they got to save up their money now. Can't afford these extra uh, heavy-duty contracts. Seven fighters got the boot the other day. Uh, Efren Escudero is probably the biggest one. Uh, he's the ultimate fighter champion from season eight. 25-11 uh, overall record. And he's coming off back-to-back -back losses to Leandro Silva and Kevin Lee. Uh, also getting the boot were Robert Whiteford, Clint Hester, Willie Gates, Dominic Waters, Jan Cabral, and Philippe Pajic. And as I said, uh, it's going to be uh, UFC 202 in Las Vegas, August 20th. Conor McGregor versus Nate Diaz has been signed. He announced the matchup during the pay-per-view of uh, UFC 199 the other night. And, uh, of course, Diaz uh, is coming off the big win there. And McGregor is coming off uh, a lot of controversy, hiatus, and... Uh, Threatened retirement there for a little while. Pretty wild stuff. And, of course, UFC 199. A big event. Uh, wasn't quite UFC 200, which is shaping up to be pretty decent. But uh, main event was shocking. Uh, Michael Bisping got the win over Luke Rockhold. Uh, and it was a knockout. First round. 339. Nope. What was it? 3.36 mark. Co-main event there. Uh, Dominic Cruz versus Uriah Faber was not the matchup I hoped it would be. Uh, but, you know, as I think Tom and I both said, Dominic should have this one in the bag. He did. Yeah, that was that just kind of went according to plan. I just felt Uriah was just a little too slow, uh, but too tough to be finished, but not enough power to finish Dominic. And um, there you have it. And so Max I think, Holloway uh, Uriah, beat, Uriah uh, may be retiring. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. 
Max Holloway had a great showing against Ricardo Lamas. Uh, just beat him to the punch a lot. Uh, grinded him down. Won the unanimous decision there. Uh, but the fight of the night, in my eyes, was Dan Henderson coming back from getting pounded on by Hector Lombard with a knockout elbow in the second round at the uh, 127 mark, which brings back to mind the kind of knockout that he laid down on uh, Michael Bisping in the past. So, uh, obviously, rematch is in the works. Talks of a rematch, anyway. Uh, it's pretty legit. I mean, looking at that kind of a performance from both guys on the same night. They're already in the same fight schedule so why not why not set it up i would uh, i would watch that fight and it's uh gives bisping a chance for revenge but it's that's another one on the 100 knockouts because he gets number four uh it's just the way he lands it. it's like a superman elbow but it comes down and he lands it directly to his chin while he's on the ground and then punches him after the fact oh it's brutal brutal Alex Caceres got a win over Cole Miller. Unanimous decision. Also had Sean Strickland beat Tom Breeze by split decision. Uh, let's see who else was on this one. Getting back up uh, for the fights on the main card. We also had Dustin Poirier versus Bobby Green. Poirier won that one by knockout in the first round. Brian Ortega beats Clay Guida by a knockout knee in the third round. 20 seconds left to go. Benil Dariu. Jessica Andrade beat Jessica Penne by TKO in the second round, 256 mark. And uh, you got to feel bad for Jessica. She's a warrior. She gets in there. She takes punishment, but she's just got no defense. And it just, to me, I don't know why she still fights. I mean, she, you know, she's got talent. She knows how to throw a punch and everything like that. But she just cannot compete at this level with these, fight, these fighters. She just gets in there and she just gets destroyed. I mean, granted, she's facing world-class competition, but she takes a lot of punches to the head. And you always just go, wow, what a, what a, a lot of heart is all you can say because she just sits there and takes it. But ugh. imagine she's had a lot of stitches and uh, got a lot of scar tissue on that face over these last couple of years in the sport. So, one of those things. Then we got uh, Alex Caceres got another win over Cole Miller. I think I already mentioned that, didn't I? Bruce Leroy. So, third fight of the night, Luis Henrique De Silva beat Jonathan Wilson by TKO. We had a draw, Kevin Casey against Elvis Mudupchik. Probably butchered that one. Split draw. And then, uh, first fight of the night, Marco Polo. Marco. Hello. <laughs> Marco Polo Reyes. Hong Hyun Kim by knockout in the third round. <clears throat> And the big fight last week, I, I didn't even watch, unfortunately. It was uh, the guy I kept talking about. I wanted to see. He had a fight against uh, a couple of people out in Vegas that I watched. 
Uh, Rand says Bartholomew. He got the bin uh, last. I think it was Friday night. Friday on uh, Spike TV. Yeah, Friday night. I didn't get to see it. Um, in fact, I was I crashed pretty early that night. Mickey Bay. Well, work week's got to me. And uh, we got some Friday night fights coming up this week too. Uh, believe it or not. And okay, Red Bull for me tomorrow night. What? Red Bull for me tomorrow night. Oh, Red Bull. Friday night. There's no MMA this Friday night. Or Saturday night. Nothing. I guess they know Bike Week's coming to Laconia or something. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right down the street from us. Bike Week. I, they should have fights there. I mean, the only problem with that is it would inspire street fights. <laughs> that's the one crowd it would do it at. No, but uh, Enzo Macronelli is over in uh, London fighting tomorrow night. Forty-one and seven as a cruiserweight. Enzo fighting uh, Dimitro Kucher, who's twenty-three one and one for the vacant EBU cruiserweight title. And uh, the best fighters on that card, other than him, are fighting uh, TBA. We got Tom oh, Baker, 13 Only dangerous and unpredictable TBA. Uh, light heavyweight Tom Baker, he's 13 0 undefeated, fighting TBA. It's tomorrow night. It's TBA. Uh, Mitchell Smith, 13 1, fighting TBA at lightweight. So, I, wonder, oh, no, I wonder how TBA is going to be able to have two fights in one night okay. on the same card. That's unacceptable. Well, maybe there'll be two of them out in the audience. Good point. And then we got over in Wiltshire across the pond uh, as well in the United Kingdom. Uh, we have the biggest loser, Christian Late. He's 11, 225, and 7. That's his record. Looking for loss number 226 <laughs> <laughs> against Akeem Ennis Brown. He's 4 0 at super lightweight. Uh, that's literally the best fight on the card, unfortunately. Uh, how many times has that guy been knocked out? I don't know. Two hundred twenty-five losses. That's pretty fucking bad. You know, yeah, you kind of have to hope he has a glass jaw, and most of his knockouts were in the first minute. Yeah. Because can you imagine if he had a concrete chin and went the distance for most of those two hundred and twenty-five fights? That, that's that's yeah. wow. Oh, speaking of warriors, too, it's kind of funny we mentioned him. Uh, we got the Jesus fight of the week, of course. Jesus Gutierrez this week, 14-0-1, fighting Demon Brock, who is 11-3-1. It's funny, Jesus is, is fighting a guy with the word demon in his first name. <laughs> uh, from the D, downtown Las Vegas Event Center in uh, Las Vegas, of course. Roy Jones Jr. is coordinating with uh, Roy Jones Jr. Boxing, I guess. Uh, with, no, it was CBS Sports Network on this one. And uh, co-main event there is Rolando Garza, 8-0 at Super Welterweight, and Erasmo Garcia, who's 5-0-1. And, and that Brock versus Gutierrez fight, that's for the WBC United States lightweight title. Pretty cool card there. But, yeah, Jesus fighting a demon. <laughs> demon. <laughs> That's pretty funny. And uh, speaking of Warriors, uh, Travis Fulton also fighting this weekend, uh, this Friday, I should say, in uh, St. Joseph, Missouri. 
Uh, fighting another guy who's been around the block a couple times. Byron Polly at heavyweight. 28-19-1. Uh, Travis comes in with a boxing record, which is probably not as impressive as his MMA record. Uh, it's, there's people who do believe he has the most MMA fights ever. Probably should be in the Guinness Book of World Records. Uh, nobody knows exactly what his real record is. <laughs> it's one of those types. But Travis is 23-42-1 in boxing. So he's working on win number 24. Yeah, that, that, that guy is, is just—you talk about the Iron Man. Yeah, we definitely I mean, got to try to get him on the show. He, yeah, and he goes back to the '90s, and uh, I remember I watched him live on that Shoney Carter card. You know, the bad part about interviewing him is going to be when you go, um, "Who's the toughest guy you ever fought?" <laughs> wow. Um, let me think. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, here's the mismatch of the week, Saturday. Comes up to us from Italy, as usual. <laughs> what are, what's going hey, on? Yo. Italians hey, me? yo. Uh, Giorgio. Giorgio Natalizzi. He's 22-0 and 0 at welterweight. Guess who he's fighting? Luigi. Luigi. Luigi hey, Mantegna. Yo, Luigi. Mantegna. Uh, who has a man? Does he have a bad record? Two wins. Two wins against 22 wins. Okay. 54 losses. Yeah. And 54. How, how many draws? No draws. Yeah. No draws. He just either loses yeah. Every or fight occasionally was he wins. Every once in a great, great while, he might win. Better wow. fights going on in Mexico, of course, on Saturday. We got Ray Vargas, 26-0 at Super Bantamweight, fighting Alexis Borema. Cabore, who's 25 and 1. Then we got the vacant WBC Youth World Super Featherweight title on the line between Warren Mambuang, or Mambuanag, who is 10, 5, and 2, fighting Eduardo Hernandez, who's 18, 0, and 3. And a better fight is uh, Juan Hernandez Navarrete at flyweight. He's 31 and 2, fighting Oscar Nino Romero, who's 35, no, 32, 5, and 2. And uh, if if you happen to be in Namibia, you might want to uh, stop by the Ramatex factory. <laughs> the uh, interim WBA Super Bantamweight title and the International Boxing Organization World Super Bantamweight title fight between Paulus Ambunda, who's 24-1, and, and Moises Flores, who's 24-0. So, pretty, pretty good stuff. And then, of course... The WBO Intercontinental Bantamweight title. A couple of guys from Africa, it sounds. Emmanuel Nijala, 22-2-1. And Klaas Mboyane. Well, probably not pronouncing that one right. He is 18-10-2. Uh, uh, then we got uh, Featherweights. Mohamed Matumla, he's 13-3-5. And, and Sakaria Lucas, he's 16-0 at Featherweight. Fighting for the interim WBO Africa Featherweight title. Interesting fights there. Fights going on in Russia. I know there's a big, big card this weekend, too. Somewhere. It's all over our blog, of course. Oh, this Sunday. 
Yes, uh, Sunday night on uh, Bounce TV. Yep. Remember that one. Joseph Alegale, our former guest from last week. And oh, wow. Phil LaGreco coming right up on us here on Sunday, Bounce TV main event. Yeah, and I, and I, I think that's a freebie, I think. I don't, I'm not sure I get that Bounce TV on my network system, but... Well, you, I mean, you I can, can just do it go online. right online. Yeah, I can do it online. You just, you just get it right online. Just Google it and uh, go right there. Uh, Madison Square Garden. Big fights going on uh, HBO on Saturday. Roman Martinez in the main event against Vasily Lomachenko. Don't let his 5-1 and one record fool you. He's a pretty bad beast. He's the WBO, or I think this is for the WBO World Super Featherweight title. I'm not sure if he has it right now. but Roman Martinez, he's 29-2-3. Uh, Felix Verdejo, he's a lightweight, 21-0, fighting Juan Jose Martinez. He's 25-2 for the WBO Latino lightweight title. Just the Latino lightweight title. Nothing else. Uh, Shiming Zhu, 7-1, fighting Joseph Ajte, who's 15-2 for the WBO International Flyweight title. We got Mike Reed undefeated at eighteen and zero, fighting Abraham Cordero thirteen two and one. And here's a big card uh, from Showtime, of course, uh, Turning Stone Resort and Casino down in Verona, New York, on Saturday. Main event will be Demetrius Demetrius Andrade or Andrade Andrade. Is that how you pronounce that one, Tony? Uh, yeah, I think he goes by Andrade. Andrade. You know, Liberato, Liberato, Andrade, and I think Demetrius Andrade. Okay, so he's uh, 22-0, and then uh, Willie Nelson is his opponent. He's uh, he's not the Willie Nelson you might be thinking of if you're a country music fan. Is he on the road again? <laughs> he is 25-2-1. Uh, as a super welterweight here. And then uh, Ruslan Provodnikov, a uh, very famous welterweight. He is 25-4, and four, fighting John Molina Jr., who is 28-6. This is for no title or anything. That will be a good fight just because of their styles. I mean, you get Provodnikov, the Siberian Rocky. So, I mean, that's all you got to say about him. And then Molina is a good fighter. He's solid. He's tall. Um you know, he's he is a tough kid that's not going to back down. You know, he's going to try to box more, um, but he's going to keep you know keep uh, you know bringing the fight. And so these are, I think you're going to see uh, more Provodnikov trying to put the pressure on and brawl. Uh, he's also got very tender skin. Uh, if you, anybody's seen his fight with. Um, uh, the Argentinian boy, uh, his name I'm also forgetting right now. Hmm. Um, but I mean that one. I mean he was cut bad in that fight, and he was he was a wreck, and he damn near won. Right. Uh, we also have lightweights. Dejan Zlatikanen, probably mispronouncing that badly. He is a 21 and 0 at lightweight, fighting Franklin Mamani. He is 21 and 2 and 1, and this is the only title on the line in this whole card. Shockingly enough, uh, it's the vacant WBC World Lightweight Title. Also, just a uh, run-of-the-mill 
fight uh, on paper here. Willie Monroe Jr. at middleweight, 19 and 2, fighting John Thompson, who's 17 and 2. Pretty interesting matchup. Yeah, um, I've seen. Well, obviously, uh, Willie Monroe, um, Philadelphia fighter Willie Alarm, has a win over Marvin Hagler, a good fighter, and um, John Thompson I've seen as well. Um, who did, I, who did I remember watching him fight? I was pretty impressed. Did we have him on our show? Mm, possibly. We might have. Because we were watching him, and I was like, oh, this kid ain't bad. Um, so that's going to be a, um, a cross-earth fight. It's, you know, both guys, you know, trying to, you know, use the other one as a stepping stone. Right. Uh, also, a big heavyweight matchup. Uh, Andre Fedosov, 28-3, fighting Mario Heredia, who is 13-1. And, and uh, undefeated cruiserweight, Stevens Bujaj, who is 15-0-1, fighting Sergio Ramirez, who's 11-0. And, and uh, way down on the card, we got another Jesus fight. Jesus Alvarez Rodriguez, 15-1 at welterweight, fighting Oscar Torres, who's 8-1. see what else we got going on. Vacant International Boxing Organization International Bantamweight title. Say that ten times fast. <laughs> is going up for grabs in the main event uh, in Springfield, Virginia on Saturday between Alexandru Marin, 11-0 at Bantamweight, and Johnny Dieterman, who's 10-1. Uh, there's another... Uh, Opponent situation here. Jerry Forrest at heavyweight. He's 11 and 2. Facing uh, Daniel Schull, who is 331 and 1. Jeez, I wonder who might win that one. Ooh, hoo, hoo. Already into Sunday. Okay, so on the Allegale card, uh, that's coming to you from Lakeland, Florida. It's going to be on Bounce TV or online, wherever you find it. Uh, main event is going to be one worth watching. There's a couple welterweights here who only have two losses. Um, Joseph's losses were maybe two lesser talents, but uh, guys with great records. Uh, and uh, obviously he's got a different skill set. He's a southpaw. Uh, Phil <clears throat> likes his left hook. We know that from talking to him. Uh, and this lonely loss to uh, Sean Porter and uh, Errol Spence Jr. So, good tough, fighter. Tough fighters, and uh, we're, we're going to see what, what he's really made of here against Joseph. But uh, they both had two losses in their last five fights, so you know a lot of stuff to prove, a lot of moves to make if they win this fight too. Uh, big, big stuff happening for both guys, I think, if they win. Uh, then we got Steve Lovett also on the card, light heavyweight. He is 15 and 0, fighting Craig Baker, who's 16 and 1. Uh, big, uh, big uh, undercard fight here as far as uh, experience. Anyway, uh, Amos Cowart at lightweight. He's 11, 1 and 1, fighting Justin Savi, who's 28, 5 and 2. So, and we also put up a blog uh, detailing some of the other opponents. Uh, for people fighting each other on this one. Oh, former guest of ours is in action, talking about a mismatch. <clears throat> um, from Kingston, Jamaica. 
Old Chop Chop Corley, Demarcus Corley. He's 45-27-1, fighting a guy who's 2-0, Michael Gardner at welterweight. In Kingston, Jamaica, next Wednesday. That's pretty cool. All right, so I think that's pretty much all the news I have, major events to discuss. Um, now, let me ask you this other question, and Tom, you might know about this as well. Um, I know there's been a lot of controversy about uh, Lee Funeral, and because basically the way they're doing it is against the Muslim faith. Yeah, you're supposed um, to bury him right away, right? Yeah, as soon as possible. Yeah, apparently with the Muslim faith, you're supposed to be washed and buried within 24 hours. Um, mm -hmm. But they wanted, they wanted to have a ceremony. Now, from what I heard, and this is where a lot of people were debating this on Facebook, so of course, you know, you're just getting everybody's opinion here. Uh, one person saying, no, Ali was very serious about his faith, and he wouldn't do anything to... Um, you know, just uh, you know, disparage it and disrespect it. And then another person said, "No, he came out and um, pretty much wrote, you know, how he wanted it." And you know, so it's like, like Ali wanted it for something to be if people of all faiths could come together, which is really what he became later in his life. For a person that was so divisive early in his life, he became such a uniter later in life. How crazy that is. Um, so now the funeral apparently is tomorrow. Now, um, the two pallbearers that I know of are um, um, Lennox Lewis and Will Smith. Lennox Lewis, um, I believe, was the last undisputed heavyweight champion. And... You know, former gold medalist, as Ali was, and, you know, very much a gentleman. And then Will Smith, who played Ali in the um, the movie biopic. Oh, I they're bringing that back to theaters, I heard, Ali. too. Yeah, I did hear that. So, um, our, in fact, our boy Vinny Paz actually was leaving tonight to head down to Louisville for the funeral. Um, so, I know, in fact, they're going to have speakers of four different faiths there. I know they're going to have, like, a... Um, a Christian speaker, a, um, a a rabbi, a Muslim speaker, and then I think a a Buddhist speaker maybe. So they're going to have at least four different faiths re represented. Um, so now, I mean, I know like so there's there's been controversy because a lot of the people in the Islamic faith were saying, you know, no, this is his wife doing this because she wants to make it a big show and a big production and. She influenced Ali, you know, to, to put it like this, but you you can't prove that. Yeah. Um, and they did wash his body within the 24 hours. Now, I saw a picture tonight that was, um, you know, it looked like it was Ali's casket. Now, this one looked like it was primarily uh, Islamic. It did look like one guy could have been a rabbi, but I'm not sure. But I definitely didn't see Lennox Lewis. I definitely didn't see Will Smith. The only person that I recognized that looked to be Haseem Rahman, hmm. which made sense. I mean, he was also a, uh, a champion of Muslim faith. But hmm. All right. Well, um, 
I was going to do a story about a, a mixed martial artist who got his contract terminated because he came out to an ISIS theme song. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, that's that terrible. Was, so I, I kind of clipped that story off the, off the broadcast, but brought it back. Brought it back just for that moment. Um, yeah, it's turbulent times for the uh, the Muslim faith. So I can understand why they. Kind yeah, of yeah, want to, uh, I don't want to get political not here. Not make or his death about that. When is it? When isn't it a turbulent time? Right. <laughs> Crazy stuff. Anyway, that's all for us for this week. Uh, next week we'll try to get a nice guest for the broadcast. Uh, see what we can pull together. And uh, Tony, what about uh, what about your buddy? I'd love to get your buddy on, Hank. Hank Cisco. Yeah, I'll send a message out to him. I'm, I, I know who, he, he's very charismatic and he's fun. He's hilarious. Uh, um, I don't know what his schedule's like. I know he does. Tell him he don't stuff, even have to put makeup on. <laughs> what? Tell him he doesn't even have to put makeup on. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> hey, I did my crew appearances on the show without makeup. <laughs> I don't need it. Oh, Rich, before I, before we get off, and, and Tommy, I think you'll appreciate this, too. I'm still doing the 22 push-ups that you challenged me to. Today was day eight. And um, so what I'm trying to do to help my video um, maybe bring attention, go viral, whatever it's got to do, I want to make mine as interesting as possible, right? So a lot of people, um, and like I know Rich has been doing this, they post their videos on a daily basis. Um, I am actually using my video editing um, software, and I'm going to take all 22 of my videos. Like I said, today was day eight. No, excuse me, today was day nine. I'm sorry, because I started on June 1st, um, so I didn't lose count. So today, um, for, for day nine, I'm trying to do something different every day, and then I nominate a person. And then I'm going to take all my videos when I'm done, and I'm going to combine it into one video. So I'm going to mention what I'm doing. And then I'm going to ask your opinion on something. So um, the first day I did it, I had just finished a workout. I had my hands still taped up. Um, and I used push-up bars that day. So I did those down in my basement gym. Day two, I did it at work. I was in a shirt and tie, and I did it down by our atrium where we have, like, our big fish pond-looking thing. I did it with the fish in the background. Day three, I was, uh, I had just gotten home from work and I have a picture that I'm going to show back in the day when I used to work out in my basement a lot. I used to do like push-ups, medicine ball push-ups and all that. And the one picture I had is Vinny uh, sitting there watching me do them. Hmm. So I did that day of push-ups right in front of where I have his little memorial with his ashes and his one rest in peace photo. So I did the push-ups in front of that. Um, Saturday, my fourth day, I was in my full Phillies outfit, and I did them out in front of the Veterans Memorial where Vet Stadium used to stand, uh, the old Phillies and Eagle Stadium. Nice. And then uh, I did them with my new protege, Amy. Um, she was over my house training on Sunday, so we did them together. Nominated her former boss, who was uh, a bar owner that I know very well. Um, what did I do Monday? Oh, Monday I went to... Um, uh, City Hall in Philadelphia. It's a couple blocks from where I work, and I did it in front of a replica of the Love statue. Hmm. Nice. You guys are going to love what I did day seven. Day seven, during my lunch, 
I pretty much ran to the art museum in Philadelphia. Hmm. Now, the art museum steps were uh, featured in uh, this one movie. I don't remember what it was called. Uh, it was about some punk boxer. <laughs> um, I took a costume robe that I had that says Italian stallion on it. Nice. I put a fedora on, and I had someone film me. I just ran the last few steps, dropped down, <laughs> did the 22, and I jumped up and threw my hands up. Nice. Um, last yesterday, I didn't get to do anything at work because it was raining during lunch. So I, um, we took a walk when I went home, and we had this one little walkway we used to take Vinny when he was getting older and he couldn't really move too much anywhere. So um, I did it on, as we call it, Vinny's berm with the field and the sunset in the background. And then today I went back to City Hall and I, um, I did them like right in the middle. They have like these little sprinklers there with little like um, walkways in between them. So I did it right in between the sprinklers. Some of my other ideas I want to do one day, maybe a Franklin Institute, um, you know, with something re representing Ben Franklin. They also have something in Philadelphia about two blocks from where I work called One Liberty Place or One Liberty Plaza. And you can, you can go up to the top floor. It's like 20 bucks, but you can see, like, all the different sites around the city and get your picture 883 feet high with the city in the background. Nice. Tell me that wouldn't be a badass spot to do some push-ups. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm trying yeah, to think. That, definitely. Uh, was, you should do uh, some on a, a busy subway like platform. A mile from where I work. Tomorrow I'm planning during lunch to go to my old boxing gym and do it in the ring. So I still got a few more to think of. I got some people at work helping me think. Now, what I'm also doing for my video is, you know, I'm going to start off with just a little bit of a speech. Hey, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. I'm going to show you all 22 days. I'm going to dedicate this, and I'm going to dedicate it to both my grandfathers who were in World War II and, um, you know, served admirably as well as my father. And well, my, I'm going to dedicate to my father. He was uh, in the Vietnam War serving in Korea. Um, and then... Each day, I'm going to show a picture, and it's going to say day one. So a picture of for day one is going to be like Uncle Sam, I want you. Um, I have something to represent each of the branches of the military, the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, the Coast Guard, so that each one of them will represent a day. I have the uh, picture of the Marines raising the flag at Iwo Jima. I have a picture of George Washington crossing the Delaware. That'll be a day. Um, uh, something from the Civil War, something from the um, First World War. I have a picture from Pearl Harbor. I think I have something from Vietnam. But how does that sound to make this video, you know, one that will catch people's attention? Yeah. First round KO, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd say do some uh, uh, on a subway platform somewhere. Busy subway you know, I was actually, I was actually thinking of doing some on the train ride home yeah on the train doing on the train in front of people because you know me i don't care you know that would be really funny if you got a bunch of people to do them with you at the same time everybody be like what the fuck's going on on the train everybody's doing push <laughs> we got a new trend started well, you know, I was on the subway last week going down to uh, the Phillies game, and they had a group of guys together, and they were actually on the subway doing acrobatics. Oh, yeah? That's cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. As long as you don't get kicked in the face. But just... <laughs> yeah, right. Read your newspaper, a guy flips into you. Yeah, that's not cool. Yeah, that's crazy. 
All right, so we're going to call it a show. Uh, rest in peace, Ali and uh, Kimbo Slice. And if anybody can take hard. anything out of this, um, <laughs> you know, sometimes in life, you know, you learn from your mistakes. And you, you can believe in something, and, you know, and your belief can cause division between people. And, and that's always going to happen. I mean, here you mean we have a um, highly controversial political election coming up soon. Um, you know, we're the, both sides hate the other party's candidate, and I mean, this might be the most um, you know vicious and you know <laughs> most vicious election I've ever seen. You know, it's going to be compared a lot to boxing. Let's put it that yeah. way. <laughs> a, a lot of hatred out there, and and you know you got to take a look and you see somebody that was you know 50 years ago right in the middle of something like that and later in his life he turned around and said you know what instead of you know dividing people maybe it's right to bring people together and you know maybe you know it's right to promote unity healing love and that's really what it's all about you know whether you're an athlete whether you're an entertainer whether you're a politician whether you're you know a guy uh, working anywhere, a janitor, a trash man, you know, a doctor, a lawyer, it doesn't matter, you know, because at the same time, we all need to be united. And, you know, and I think Ali regretted a lot of the things he did earlier in his life. Maybe he didn't regret, you know, what he stood for. Maybe he regretted the way he portrayed it. And, and I think he did repent later in his life. And he did make peace with a lot of people. And, Going out, that's the, um, you know, maybe the most important lesson that he taught us. Rest in peace. All right, Tony. Here's the eulogy. <laughs> All right. Good job, bud. All right. Good, good job. All right. So, well, gentlemen, it's always a pleasure. Till next week. All right, guys. Thanks Bounce guys. TV, Sunday night. Let's enjoy yeah. it. I don't know who uh, to root for, though. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks a lot.